As we come to God's Word today, we expect that He is going to be at work in it through us, through the Spirit. So let us pray, asking God to do this in us. Triune God, grant us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Christ, so that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. Help us to know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of your power at work in us. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles as we continue through the Old Testament prophet of Amos. This morning we find ourselves in chapter 6, and we will be reading verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Go to Kalna and look at it. Go from there to great Hamath, and then go down to Gath and Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? You put off the evil day and bring near a reign of terror. You lie in beds inlaid with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. We now say responsibly our psalm for this morning, continuing through Psalm 119. We say responsibly verses 65 through 72 today. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. The insolent smear me with lies, but my whole heart I keep your precepts. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Our New Testament lesson has us at the beginning of Ephesians 5 today. Uh, the thought from last week has continued on, this idea that we are living as children of light. Today we read verses 1 through 21. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here ends the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Amen. How do you see yourself as someone who is in Christ? If you and I were sitting down for coffee and I asked you that question or you asked me that question, what would be our answer? As we think back on what we know from Scripture and particularly what we have seen over the last several weeks from Ephesians, I'm sure we would remind one another of how we are adopted and that we have been brought into the family of God. We, we would remember that this is all of grace and that we have no grounds to boast. And we likely would remember that because of all of this, we know that we have been made a part of the family of God. And therefore, we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. When we stop and think about all these facts, and if we were to list them, all of it would be a wonderful reminder of who we are because of the grace and mercy of God that has been shown to us in Christ. But now for the next question. So what? What does it mean that all of this is true about us? What does this look like on the ground? And not just in the conceptual. Well, the book of Ephesians has something to say about this. And we see this as we land in chapter 5 this morning. Right there in this first verse, we see that very important Bible word, therefore. And as you've heard me say so many times before, when you're reading the Bible and you come across the word therefore, it is vital to find out what it is there for. Now, it's a corny turn of phrase to say that, but it's true. Because what usually follows a therefore is very important information. But if we don't understand why the author is, is saying therefore, there is a possibility that we will misinterpret what is being said. In this case, the therefore is reminding us to think back on what we have learned so far. And we can sum that up with what we saw last time at the end of Ephesians 4. We saw that we are to love others because of the gospel. When we hear that we are forgiven by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone, we look at the world in a different way. And we look at each other in a specific way, as brothers and sisters, as forgiven people of God. So back to this, therefore... What is Paul trying to tell his readers when he tells them to imitate God? 
Is he suggesting that we should be creative because God is creator? Are we being told that we now have the power to punish sin because God punishes sin? Well, you can see here that this is why context of the therefore is so important. Actually, the the chapter break here, moving on to verse 1, doesn't really help us out because it makes it seem like this is a new thought, but actually it goes back to verse 32 that we just looked at. What we have here is the extension of this idea that we are to forgive one another because God has forgiven us. And that, that is how we are to imitate God. We are to love one another and forgive as we have been forgiven. Just like children walk behind their fathers in the snow and they stretch to put their feet in the same steps that their dads have walked We follow after God and do what he does when we forgive each other. Paul tells us that this is what we do as dearly loved children. We are learning from our Heavenly Father how we should walk, how we should live, how we should love in this world. And this is not abstract love. That is always so important for us to remember. This isn't warm, fuzzy feelings type of love. It is like the love of God we talk about that is so real. And we talk about it in significant terms because we don't speculate on what the love of God is for his people. The love of God for his people is a sure and certain fact. And why is that? It's because he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's the truth of the gospel. The love of God is tangible because Jesus did something real. Jesus did something tangible in real time and space history. And so when you are struggling and you wonder if if God can love you, there's a way to know that his love doesn't fail. He gave himself as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And we look to this love, not only to, look, not only to know that we are to love one another, but we also look to this gift from God to know how to love everyone. This love we talk about isn't that we simply have good feelings for the person on the other end of the pew from you. That's not what we're talking about. It means that we care for others even when it's hard to do. It's visiting someone who is sick or dying, even though it may be uncomfortable. It's asking hard questions to someone who we think may be going through a tough time. Loving one another isn't easy. It is sacrificial. And we look to the cross and to the love that God has shown for us in Christ to understand not only how to do it, but why we should do it. Christians are people who are united because of a sacrificial love. And then that is the love that we are called to have for one another. And before we move on from these first two verses, I want to point out a theme that we've seen earlier on in Ephesians and what the 1984 NIV translate here as live a life of love can also be translated as walk in love. We've seen this idea of walking earlier on in Ephesians, and some translations actually say it this way, walk in love. 
The idea is that we are to walk around in this sacrificial love. We, as if we are moving, as if we are going somewhere, as if we are on a mission, as if we're going somewhere with this love. We move around with it. It's active. It's a part of our lives. In other words, it isn't something we feel. It's something we do. We love one another. It is an active thing. It moves around with us, and it progresses within us. It builds within us because of God's love for us. And this idea of sacrificial love not only shows us how to love, but we see that it also shows us how to live. We are to love, but that doesn't mean we are allowed to do whatever we want. That doesn't mean we are allowed to justify our sinfulness. Paul is very deliberate as he moves on to what we as Christians are to flee from. In the church, there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality. And in the pagan culture of the Roman Empire in the first century, all kinds of deviance and perversion was not only tolerated, but it was celebrated. As I've said before, we can learn so much from the letters written to the early church because culturally there is so much that parallels what we are experiencing in our day. But there is not even to be a hint of sexual immorality. And so we do not modify the law of God and his standard of holiness to accommodate our times. Instead, we are to stand apart just as the early church did and it changed the world. We are to be different than the world. But it isn't just in the area of sexual immorality. Paul gets us fired up here. He has us cheering against the culture. But he, then he uh, lets us know what the standard of holiness entails. And it includes any kind of impurity. It includes greed. And that hurts, doesn't it? So easy to think poorly of those who do the things that we would never do. But Paul here goes after sin with both guns blazing. Greed or any impurity might hit us a little bit harder than other sins, but it doesn't change the fact that even though we have been forgiven by God's spectacular grace, we are still called to a life of holiness. All of this, we are told, is improper for God's holy people. Remember, to be holy means to be set apart because of God's grace shown to us in Jesus Christ, we are set apart and holy. And this should impact how we live, how we walk around in this world. But he doesn't just leave it at impurity. And he doesn't just leave it with greed. There should not be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking. Well, that'll get us too, won't it? We're called the holiness. And that is something the world has no consideration of. In fact, we see that the world is filled with idolatry because of this impurity. And when we think about this logically, we understand what Paul is saying here when he mentions this idolatry. Because what we desire, we worship. And if we're seeking after sexual impurity or greed, we know that we're not seeking after God. We are seeking after pleasure and financial gain and we make that our God. So ultimately, all of our sin, whether it's things that have been listed or any sin, it's about us seeing God 
incorrectly. All of our sin is a violation of the first and second commandments because we are worshiping and desiring fulfillment in something other than God. And we read here that idolaters have no place in the kingdom of God. This is humbling because we need to remember that if, we were, if it were not for the grace of God, this would be us. We would be idolaters if it were not for the grace of God. Had we not been miraculously rescued by God's mercy, we would be doomed. Instead, as we, as we, instead, as we have read, because we are in Christ, we are holy. We are set apart. We have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And so Paul wants us to live a life that reflects this fact, not to go back to what it was before, but to now reflect who we are in Jesus Christ. And he is concerned that his readers might be deceived. And the idea that we read here of empty words is is claims that were being made that the evil deeds that he is talking about will not be punished. Those claiming that these things are sins and will not be punished, they were clearly rampant in our day. And they were clearly rampant in their day also. Paul is speaking of idolaters who not only sin against God, but also promote the depravity and rebellion to others. And he uses some strong language here. Most people think that the idea of God having wrath is an Old Testament idea. But here we read that God punishes sin regardless of time or era. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His wrath against sin is real. And this is why we should not be partners with those who promote disobedience against the law of God. And to draw this out, to draw out what he's saying, he goes back to some imagery that he's used before, and it's imagery that we can easily understand. They were once in darkness, but now they are light in the Lord. Back a few weeks ago when all of this weather stuff began, Here in town, we were without power for a significant amount of time. It was dark. It was out long enough that it started to get cold in our houses. And when the lights came back on for good, I don't any of us were thinking back to the good old times when we couldn't see. And we were wondering just how we were going to conserve heat through the night. When the light came on, We were happy, we were filled with joy, and not one of us ran downstairs to the box and shut the power off because we wanted to go back to the good old times of the darkness. The same idea is being expressed here by Paul. We have been given light in the Lord. Why would we go back to a life of darkness? That would be foolish. And so so Paul tells us to live as children of light filled with goodness, filled with righteousness and truth. In other words, don't just abstain from the darkness. Don't just abstain from it. Live in the light. I think we struggle with this idea. We think that as Christians, we're we're just to stay away and abstain from evil and darkness. But Paul is pushing us to not only flee the darkness, but to run to and to live in the light and loving one another and seeking out righteousness and truth. We are to discern what pleases the Lord. We know what that is. But what Paul is pushing us towards is living our lives in such a way that we are seeking out these things, 
These things that we can do to live a life that is pleasing to God. Not just abstaining from evil, but walking around and loving others in the Lord. But as a part of that walking around, Paul has something that is very challenging for us. We don't just refrain from the works of darkness. Instead, we are to expose them. This, this doesn't mean that we walk around with a self-righteousness and, and say, aha, anytime we catch somebody sinning, anytime we see someone who's a part of the works of darkness. Instead, we are to faithfully proclaim God's law because it is the law that exposes sin. It is the way that God the Holy Spirit works in us. We hear the law and the Spirit convicts us of sin. Like I so often say, we often want a sign that we have the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And we, we kind of want something spectacular and amazing. But when it all comes down, the Holy Spirit's job, what Scripture teaches us is that the Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world of sin. What more miraculous a sign could there be? We are convicted of sin. We know that God is working in us. So if we hear the law of God and we hear the explanation of it and we're convicted that we're sinning, you can be assured that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. And so we repent, we believe that in Christ we are forgiven and we turn from our sin, that sin that is so convicting to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, to expose sin, what do we do? We proclaim the word of God and trust that the light of his word will expose, expose sin, that the light of his word will vanquish darkness, that the light of his word will cause us to wake up. And what we have here, as we, that we, what we see here in Wake Up, O Sleeper, is believed to be a very early Christian hymn that is based on Isaiah 60, verse 1. And the idea is that Christ shines on those in the darkness, and then they are resurrected to newness of life. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's the only hope that we've got. Jesus, he's our light. He is our life, and he brings us out of darkness. And our hope is that through the proclamation of the word, the Spirit quickens faith in our hearts and we are brought out of deadness in sin and resurrected to life in Christ, out of the darkness into the light. And so because of all of this, Paul calls us to be wise and deliberate as we walk in the world. The days are evil, so we must make the most of our time. And the idea here is that we are to redeem the time. The days are evil, and so when we walk in the light and live as we have been called to live in Christ, we are making wise use of our time. We avoid foolishness, and we're understanding that the, that the will of God is for us to live in his light. And we read here what this looks like. We're not, we're not to get drunk on wine. And his concern is not for consuming wine, but consuming it to drunkenness because it can lead to further sinfulness and darkness. That's his concern. It's important that we notice that Paul, once again, ju doesn't just tell us what not to do. He doesn't tell us just what to avoid. 
but he offers something else. He offers what we are to do to live in the light. We're to be filled with the Spirit. Now, this does not mean that we act goofy as if we are drunk in the Spirit. Instead, what Paul is pointing out is that we are to be in the Word. And by our brothers and sisters sharing the Word with us, we speak and we believe. We, we speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We sing, we make music, and proclaiming the gospel to each other is the alternative to drunkenness and living in darkness. We are filled with the Spirit when we proclaim the Word, and we give thanks to God for everything, and we submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, he says. In other words, we lay aside our personal selfishness and instead think about the good of others. And this is, this is his instructions for how we walk in love. This is how we walk in the light. This is how we move about. This is how we move forward spiritually. We proclaim the good news and we trust that his spirit is using it in us. We hear and believe we have the courage to believe that the Word is sufficient and that God is using it. And as we hear the Word, we know that God is at work even when it may not feel like it. The Spirit's work in our lives sometimes may not seem exciting or elaborate, but if we are hearing the Word, we are filled with the Spirit and we can trust that He is at work in us. So may we walk in the light. May we walk in love, trusting that the Lord is faithful to work in us to make us holy. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Hear the word and believe the gospel, knowing that Christ is shining on you. So I go back to my opening question. How do you see yourself as someone who is in Christ? We are alive, and in the Spirit, and in this good news, we are driven to leave the darkness behind and to relish our lives in the light. So may the Spirit strengthen us to live this life in the light, in the light of God's love and God's truth. Amen.